unbelievably delicious. So I'm actually very thankful that we get to walk together through these many verses. But we're going to start in verse 2. We learned last time there's no condemnation. It's a great word. But listen to what verse 2 tells us through verse 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Please pray with me. Father, these are hard words, uh, very complicated, actually. Uh, we don't talk this way to each other about flesh and laws, and uh, it's not our jargon. And yet it is the jargon of the Spirit. And we trust, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring light to what this means and that you would take these words off the page, make them alive in our hearts, and change us so that we would see you and live as never before. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Dean proclaimed the gospel. There's no condemnation. When God looks at us, if we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. The, the picture I get, and it's a beautiful one. Do you all remember when Jesus was going to the cross? There were these four guards, and they basically stripped him naked. And as he was on that cross, it says that one of his garments was a seamless garment. It was a robe or a coat. Some people think it was his inner garment. Some people think it was his outer garment. But here's what the book of John tells us. It had no seams. And you might think, what does that matter? Well, it does matter because when we are robed in the record of Jesus Christ, we, when, and God looks at us, there's no seam. There is no way that there can be a little gap or a little hole, or a little area, whereas we live our Christian life, we can be at fault. It's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing that we are covered with this garment that there is no crack in it. It's impossible that God does not look at us as a judge and say, I approve of you. But Paul does something here, I think, through the Spirit, because even though we know that nothing can get through, no faults can get through, we're a lot like people that first play the game of trust. Have you all ever played that game? Somebody ends up sort of standing up on a stage like this, and their goal is to fully trust some strong people down here to catch them. And the person that, the people that are standing down there, they're doing that very thing. Hey, hey, there's more of us than you. Hey, this is the gospel. No condemnation. Just let yourself go. And the person's up here going, are you serious? 
Like, even though you're telling me that you're stronger than me, uh, there's this tendency whenever somebody does this for the first time. And have you played this game? That when you let go, that for me, it's the left leg. I mean, as I'm going back, I I put the leg out, right? I self-steady, even though people are saying, Howard, you got to trust me on this. We will catch you. Now, I think it's a lot like having kids. I have five children. It's classic when you bring them to a swimming pool. I mean, I'm the dad and I'm like, get in the water. And they're like, I'm going to drown. I don't know. And they're at the edge of the pool and you're the dad and you know how absolutely fun it is to get in the water. And that child is standing there. And what you have to do, even though you say you're not going to die, you have to remind that child of they got the little floaties on the arms. You know, the, you know some of you adults, if you still wear them, that's a good thing. If you, if you feel it needs the security. But that's what it gets to. We, we have this sense, even when we're told, hey, you are righteous, you're approved. There's something in us that makes us feel vulnerable. Uh, we don't have a sense of poise and composure. We're like that child that says, I'm going to need a little bit of support. And I love what John Owen said. He was a pastor and he said, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges in Christ Jesus. What we're going to hear today in the scripture is that we do possess invulnerable security because of three things. Paul's going to say, just like a father, look, you got your floaties on. You got me right here. It's going to be okay. I know you feel vulnerable, but there's an invulnerable security. And I'm going to give you some reasons to let you know what you possess. The first one is the freeing spirit. The second one is the surprise of the son. And the third one is you have a mind set on the spirit. So let's find these things together because we all need this gospel. Look with me at the first one. We're scared. We're anxious, but we possess invulnerable security because of the freeing spirit. Do you see it there in verse two? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay, spirit. Did you know that in the book of Romans, spirit, which is often the word for breath or for wind, it only comes up as this little teeny breeze one time in the entire book. Romans 5, 5. Just the word spirit just breezes in. In this chapter, right when we get squirrely, there's no condemnation, but I'm ready to put my leg out and steady myself with my effort. The Spirit of God starts to blow in. And do you realize that it gusts in, it blasts in, and like a hurricane, it shows up in this chapter 18 times. 18 times the Holy Spirit comes in. We know it hovered over creation and it vitalized it into life. And now in this chapter, um, I get the picture of a child in a field, and it's a little bit of a windy day, and they pick one of those dandelions that's kind of created that little puff ball, and that child loves to blow on that dandelion, and it just explodes in the wind, and its life is going everywhere. Those seeds are going everywhere. And this is exactly what Paul is doing for these Romans that are saying, I know you're telling me this, Paul. And Paul's saying, watch what the Spirit is going to do as it blows throughout this chapter. He's called the spirit of life. 
The Spirit is not a what. The Spirit is a who. The Spirit is the loving relationship between the Father and the Son who is so alive in that relationship, it's, He's literally breathing. Breathing is Spirit. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is giving life. The Spirit is breath, a lot like a, a lion. If right now we're all sitting listening to me and a lion were to roar in the back, the breath and the power of that wind going through those vocal cords would cause all of us to sit up a little straighter, right? We'd be both exhilarated and fearful at the same time. I kind of got the picture, Grizz, when, when you were talking to that microphone. There's your own son kind of grabbing at something new. But I was wondering, is it just the volume? Is, is he trying to connect the breath of his father with the fact that it's not just making noise, but it's coming from a person? So the Spirit is not this impersonal force. The Spirit is the, the third person in the triune community that executes the love of God, reproducing in us what he produced in Jesus' life, and he fills us with all his power and all of his potential. With the Spirit, we possess new drives, new appetites, new priorities, a new vision of reality, new creativity, new joy, new peace. And we know this as Christians. When you are not living in that power, in that relational love of the Spirit, it's like we hold our breath. I mean, you can only hold your breath so long. And when you hold your breath, you realize, I'm not living life here. I'm getting kind of panicky. I'm getting scared. And it's the Spirit of God where we just stop holding our breath and we realize, I have the Spirit now in me. Now, it moves on and talks about these two laws. And this is, when I read about laws in the book of Romans, the, the word law goes all over the place. So I, wanna, I want us to think of, since we already talked about this in the illustration in the beginning, I want us to think about the floaty principle. All right? Those are those little squishy things you fill with air. You put them on the child's arms so that their fear and insecurity is now going to have something that they can look to to help them out. Let's talk about the floaty principle as we try to understand the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. Let's first talk about what this word law is. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not a law in the Bible. It's more like, a, like the law of gravity which is a, an axiom, or it is a, a principle. So when we talk about the law of sin and death, all of us, when we're born in Adam, sin and death, like gravity, are always pulling us down. We're just selfish. We don't want God. And the law of sin and death has us enslaved. Now, if you're here and you are not a Christian, and you're just sort of watching us as a community, and you just heard us kind of read the scripture that talks about this reality of the law of sin and death. Um, our good news for you today is not get converted or get yourself together, even though we know that in your heart you're really not inclined. Um, we're not going to lie to you here. Before the Spirit comes to us, we are enslaved. There is no inclination, if you're watching us as a community, you don't have some inclination that maybe I want God. Not at all. The law of sin and death, like the law of gravity, you cannot get out of. It's just the reality. We would never tell a wolf to get training to become a sheepdog because the two are on opposite sides and have very different natures. A wolf's just going to want to eat sheep. It's the law of sin and death. 
Look at verse 7. It says, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we need to talk about this for a minute. If you're not a Christian, did the scriptures just say that you are actually hostile to God in this reality of being enslaved to the law of sin and death? That's exactly what it says. The scripture is very clear that our being, our nature, is always going to determine our desires. And our desires, if you look at your life, always show themselves in our behavior. So yes, you have this voluntary inability to please God. Choice is always the fruit of our nature. A wolf, a wolf wants to eat sheep. It doesn't exactly want to sit around and eat vegetables. Um, maybe imagine it this way. If you have a friend and you go over to that friend's house and you just love God, but you realize that that friend of yours is under the law of sin and death, this principle that enslaves that friend, you might notice, hey, do you realize, friend, that God has been trying to get your attention? And your friend may say, yeah, I mean, I keep getting messages all over the place. Um, you all know what the QR codes are, these little pixelated black and white squares. And you say, look, there's, there's one right there. What does that one say? And your friend might say, well, that one right there, you know, that just annoys me because it says I'm in danger. I'm stuck in slavery to myself. Um, and he, and he, has, he can cut those chains that enslave me. But it just annoys me that I got that, that QR code up there. What about this QR code over here? Uh, yeah, that one says I'm poor and he's going to make me rich. What about the one over here? Well, that one, that one irritates me. It comes up all the time. He says, I want to be at peace with you through my only son. And you're looking at your friend and you're saying, why aren't you responding? If someone in a relationship is continually given these QR codes, is continually saying, look, I want, why, why, why uh, QR codes are out there for marketing for simple purposes. Connect to it so that you actually can get in there and get in on the action, right? Get the information and get in on the action. And if you have God that keeps displaying his grace, and you have a friend that says, these QR codes are really annoying me, and I do not want to open them. I think we can, we can say, that's hostility. I mean, have any of you ever gotten an e or sent an email to somebody, and you want a simple response, and they don't respond to you, and it's important to you? I mean, it, you might say, well, I'm just indifferent. No, it, it feels, on the, on the end of the sender, it feels like hate. It feels like you really don't want this relationship. So another, another thing is we actually care if you're not a Christian. When it says you can't please God, we don't wag our finger at you. That, that's a big deal. Imagine right now you being unable, if you're married, to give any pleasure to your spouse. Or imagine if you have a child... Every time you try to make your child laugh, no pleasure. You give your child a gift, no pleasure. Or maybe just in church today, every person you walk up to, instead of pleasure, they feel displeasure to you. When the scripture says that the law of sin and death puts us in a state where we can't even give pleasure to the living God, if I know that you are not able to give God pleasure and God's designed you to give God pleasure and to receive his pleasure, and you can't even do that, that creates within me a deep compassion uh, because we were made to, to actually 
Give pleasure to God. When we look at your life and see that your life-ruining desires of your human nature are under the spell of sin, it matters. We know that you're settling for secondary pleasures like stuff and food and your image and amusement, and you're missing the deeper pleasures of your design, which is to give pleasure to your Father. That's the deepest, deepest, most wonderful thing. So you might say, okay, Howard, just can you back off and get back to your sermon because I, I don't really have an interest in God. And you preachers irritate me because what can I do? You're telling me that I can't fix myself. I can't bring myself, according to this scripture, to want God. There's QR codes all over the place. Um, I'm unable to believe, and yet you're going to penalize me. I mean, you preachers really are contradictory. And what I would say is, as a Christian, those of us that have met Christ, it's exactly right. We can't fix ourselves. Until we get an app that can scan the QR codes, we absolutely have no ability in and of ourselves. Because God, at the end of the day, from the beginning to the end, gets the sole credit for loving us and saving us. The spell of self-reliance is broken when we admit, I don't have the app to respond to the living God. I like how E. Stanley Jones said it. He was a missionary in India. Your only responsibility is to respond to his ability. Okay, so we talked about the floaty principle. We mentioned this terrible law of sin and death, which says people cannot have any, they don't have the ability, they will not respond to God. But there is also the law of the spirit of life. Imagine this child, and and dad's like, get in the pool. And the child says, I don't want to get in the pool. You're not going to die. I know you keep telling me that, but I need an explanation. I need a little bit more, uh, I need a little bit more help. I feel vulnerable. So the father says, look, there is a law that if you jump into the water, you will sink. But there's another law. It's called the law of buoyancy. The law of buoyancy says that if you jump into the water, there's a force that pushes up on you, and you just got to trust me here. You will be lighter in the water, and guess what you got on your arms? You got floaties. The floaties have air. And when those floaties are in there, and your body is in there, and you just lay back, you've got to trust me. Yes, there is the law of sin and death, but there is the law of the spirit of life. And you will be lighter in the water. The spirit has a greater force. The spirit supersedes the law of gravity. The child simply needs to jump in and enjoy what the scripture tells us here. Freedom. Freedom. So Paul explained, we possess invulnerable security because of the freeing spirit. He then expands our privileges by saying, we possess invulnerable security Because of the surprise of the son. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. All right. So if you're following the scripture, Paul does something that's kind of confusing. He goes from this principle, which is the law, and he jumps back to the Ten Commandments. He says in verse 3, God's done what the law, keeping those Ten Commandments, couldn't do. And we've covered this a little bit, but I want to talk about this for a moment. Imagine that you're driving down the road and you're going 85 and that 
terrible police officer wants to pull you over and just interrupt your life. And he walks over and he says, son, it was me. You're going to have to pay for that ticket because you were going 85. And I say, listen, officer, listen, 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 listen. These laws are killing me. But can we focus on something here? My, uh, the law is a lot like my speedometer. You pulled me over and it was that speedometer revealed 80 miles per hour. And it's that speedometer. I mean, that terrible speedometer. And he's like, son, you know, you can look in the mirror, in your mirror, in your rear view mirror. And it'll reveal to you that you're dirty, but the mirror ain't going to clean your face. And my little radar thing here, I mean, my little radar thing revealed you were going 85. But let's not blame the radar and let's not blame this speedometer. Let's blame you because your foot that's a little bit heavy. That foot is connected to your heart and you obviously wanted to go somewhere and you didn't care. The law just revealed what was in you. So this is why as Christians, we say the law is actually good. Those Ten Commandments are good. We can't get all mad at, all, at the fact that it just finds us out. What's bad is our flesh. It's weakened by the flesh. So the sun comes because what does God do if we can't keep the law? The surprise. God says, rather than standing at a distance, humanity is all pulled over. Humanity is all ready to pay the fine. But it says that he sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh. In your scripture, when it says Christ was sent for sin, that's actually code. In the Old Testament, if you looked at how it said in Greek, whenever they took an animal that was innocent, it would say for sin, take the innocent animal and kill the animal so that the sin would be punished. So when it says that Christ was sent for sin, those are special words. It's not just this general concept saying Christ came totally innocent. And as the cop was going to say, you're going to go pay this fine. Christ walks right over and says, I want to go ahead and take the fine. He didn't. Howard couldn't follow this law. But I've always kept speed limit. I've always done it. And I want to come in his place. You punish me. For his breaking of the law. So the surprise of the son. The father takes our faults. Fastens them to the flesh of Christ. And sin was condemned in the flesh. What was the cost of that first verse? No condemnation. Christ. And this is serious. If I only had one boy. I've got five kids. Not that I would want to have any of them uh, suffer. But if I only had one son. I said the only way to solve people that are stuck under the sin, uh, the, the law of sin and death, is to send my only son. I mean, that's a major, major sacrifice. It's the beauty of Christianity. What about these words, though? If you put a bracket around the words, he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Those are kind of weird words, aren't they? Let's, let's talk about it for a moment. Jesus did not come in the likeness of flesh. A lot of cults say, I don't, I don't think he really really came as God. Um, the scripture says he was born into humanity. He was solidly a human. I mean, if I, met, if I walked up and I was one of Jesus' disciples, I could say, Jesus, let's arm wrestle. I mean, he was fully human. We could arm wrestle each other. If you were in a crowd, you could bump into him. You could experience a hug from him. He truly came, not just in the likeness of flesh, 
but in the flesh. Now, he was fully human. There was no glow. I mean, if you would have looked at the crosses when, when, the, when the two thieves were there and he was there, you'd never, you wouldn't see a holy glow. He was fully human. He was hanging up there sweaty and bloody and dying, fully human. He also didn't come, though, in sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was truly human where the impulses and the urges of sin didn't dictate his decisions because there was nothing wrong with his heart. So what does it mean he came in the likeness of sinful flesh? Just this. He entered into our real circumstances, our real weaknesses, our situation. He took on our skin. Uh, you ever meet somebody and you feel like they're just not getting you and you just look at them and, you, and they finally get something about your difficult week and you go, welcome to my world. You ever, you ever say that? There was not a moment where Jesus walked around wasn't actively saying, I understand this world. I lived 30 years before he even started going around and talking about the kingdom and talking about the reality that there can be a new life. I have lived here as a human being, even though I've come in the likeness of sinful flesh. Going back to this picture we started with, it's not that the dad stands at the side of the pool and says, get in, get in, get in. There's this law of buoyancy. Oh, that's really going to help a seven-year-old girl. Yeah, that's going to you know, give me a lot. You've got the floaties, uh-huh. But if the dad jumps in, have you done this, parents? Have you done this, coaches? Have you gone next to the person who's saying, I'm feeling, I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't feel poised. I don't feel comfortable. I'm being told that I'm accepted, but I feel disapproved. If that dad gets in the water and says, look at me. Look at me. I'm one of you. When I was your age, I felt the same thing you felt. But the freedom of the water. Get into the water. God did not stay at a distance like sending these little time capsules of his blessings. He sent himself. He sent himself. It's amazing. It's an amazing surprise. What's the application? Maybe one would be this. Do we actively share this amazing God with others? I wonder if one of the reasons for my infrequency is because of my insecurity. See, if I'm insecure, that means that if I witness to somebody and they don't really like it, I'm going to have to prove myself and feel disapproved of. But what if... What if I felt so approved by God, no condemnation, that I could share the story of Christ and have someone say, I'm not interested? What if I felt so secure that that wouldn't make me lose my composure? I'm just wondering out loud, because I think as a church, it'd be awesome if we could wave orphan children into our family, because we understand their fears. We know why people are fearful about coming and becoming Christians. We know their doubts. We know their insecurities. We're ordinary, just like them, just as Jesus came and was a very ordinary human being. So Christ became one of us. He is for us. But do you notice what purpose? This is a surprise here. It says the reason he became one of us, it was in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What that's saying in very simple terms is this. God imputes or gives us this great credit of righteousness. And then inside of us, he gives us the spirit so that we can now walk according to the spirit. 
The Spirit is in us. It says in verse 9, the Spirit dwells in us. I think Corrie ten Boom, some of you have read about her. She was a Holocaust survivor. She had this great picture. She's like, we're like a glove, but the Holy Spirit, when it, just like a hand, when it goes into the glove, it animates the glove. It makes the glove come alive. And Paul is saying, not only do you have no condemnation, not only should you be surprised by the Son of God, but the Spirit of God now lives in you. This wind isn't just a breeze blowing around. This personal uh, love between the Father and the Son is in you to animate you like a glove, to move you. And we walk according to the Spirit. You know, a lot of you, just if, if I just watched you walk out of the sanctuary, we all kind of walk differently, don't we? There's like a style in our step. We all have our own little swag as we walk. And when the Spirit of God is in us, and we've now been brought into the reign of Christ again. And we're following this amazing romance. We walk differently. We live differently. So we ought not just be surprised that the sun came, but our very behaviors are now animated, not by our effort. In fact, this entire chapter has not one command. The animation comes from the Spirit who is in us, who is animating us and helping us to walk. It says... But when you're in the flesh, you walk according to the flesh. We have to talk about this word flesh. We've crossed its path a lot, and you'll cross it a lot in your Christian life. What is the flesh? The flesh is the self organized to take care of itself. Rather than being um, convex, meaning I care about you, I love you, I'm interested in you, what I want to do is just become concave. I want you interested in me. It's all about my life. It's all about my goals. So whenever you hear about the flesh, we're being reminded that outside of the Spirit, we organize everything to basically serve ourselves. And we become a slave to ourselves. Let's be really clear. If you are a Christian, are you in the flesh? According to this scripture, you are not. Now let's think, though. Is the flesh in you? The answer is yes. Romans 7, read it. Over and over and over, Paul is saying, oh, I'm a sinful person and I have indwelling sin. But Romans 8 says, wait a second. The flesh is in us, but you need to get, you need to get excited about the fact that the flesh is in us, but we are now in the Spirit. We are not sin-free. We are still sinful, but we are being renewed by the Spirit. And we walk according to the Spirit. The picture I get is a sailboat. If you get on that sailboat and you say, Spirit of God, according to what the Scripture is saying, it's like the wind that starts to blow that sail. And if we just sit and pull those ropes, that sailboat takes off into the adventure. So we possess invulnerable security. Because of the freeing spirit, because of the surprise of the sun, and lastly, our minds set on the spirit. And Paul does a great thing here. He just deals with an opposite to focus us. Go back to our picture of the, of the child. A dad might say to that child, uh, don't set your mind on sinking. Focus on the fact that you're going to float. Or that he might say, don't think about drowning Think about the fact that you're going to be swimming. And the child's like, I'm going to get wet. No, don't think about getting wet. Think about you're going to be encircled with warmth. 
And the child's like, I'm going to die. And the, and the father says, no, you're going to get in and you're going to be splashing and you're going to be lifted up into my arms. It's the total opposite of death. It's relationship. So here's what Paul does. He gives one opposite in verse 6. He says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What do we set our minds on? This is a major, major secret in the Christian life. If your mind is set on anything other than the Spirit, other than God, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be agitated. You're going to constantly be going, I got to steady myself with pleasure. I got to steady myself with money. I got to steady myself with that relationship. I've got to steady myself with more self-effort. If your mind is always set on something other than God, other than the intensity of his love for you, you, go, you are going to be feeling vulnerable at every moment. And did you notice what it said? If you set your mind on the flesh, you do not belong to Christ. The opposite is the beautiful truth. You belong to Christ. Guys, if you remember anything from the gospel today, you just write it down all week long and look at it and say, oh my goodness. I belong to Christ. Set your mind on that. It will give you great, great freedom. So what is the background music that's playing in your mind? It ought to be, you belong to Christ. We do not have to do what we instinctively want to do in our Christian life through the flesh that's still in us, which is self-effort. Belonging to Christ and dwelt by the Spirit I no longer have to rely on my self-effort, but another self's effort working on me, working in me, and working for me. All right, come with me and imagine we're all on the beach. We're all on the beach, and here I am, full-on adult, and I'm standing at the water's edge, and I'm looking at all of you, and I'm saying, so do we want to just stay on the edge and be told that there's no condemnation? Or do we want to start to experience the adventures of the Christian life? I know we all contract back into, I want a risk-free life. I'm obsessed with safety. But I'm talking about changing this, this mindset. I'm saying let's all stand, not just at a man-made pool, but an ocean of delight, an ocean of opportunity. Do you feel the wind with me that's just pushing at our backs, nudging us like a good friend would in the ribs saying, look at this ocean. Don't be scared of it. You got your floaties on. All right. You've got a law that supersedes the law of gravity. Do you feel the warm wind, the spirit of God breathing upon your back? The good news today is we do possess invulnerable security because of that freeing spirit, the surprise of the sun, in a mind captivated on the spirit. I feel the wind, guys. I've been loving this week just living in this passage. I feel the wind like I've never felt the wind before, but I'm scared. And sometimes we need to lock arms with each other and say, let's, let's do this. Let's trust this wind. Let's trust this wind. Let's trust this real spirit. I'm starting to feel a spring in my step rather than a spring in my back step. Would you jump in the water with me? Would we trust that this is really true? Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you so much that Paul, who was a sinner, who dealt every day with the flesh, realized that because of the Spirit, he was in a whole new realm. But he knew, Lord, that his listeners needed to be encouraged, and we are needing encouragement. A lot of us today are just trying to wrap our minds around all these uh, kind of complicated concepts of the laws and the, the flesh and the Spirit. But Lord, more than anything, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is described as a powerful wind, as a living force. I thank you that the gospel is as simple as air going through vocal cords saying, God has done it. If I pray for people that may be here today that do not have the app to see the QRs that are everywhere in creation and everywhere in Scripture, they're helpless, we're helpless, but the reality that your Son can set them free through the application of the Spirit, we ask that your Spirit would make blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, and there would be no one that leaves this place that does not see the beauty of you, God. In Christ, we beg these things. Amen.